Automate your security framework compliance with sponsor Drata. Drata delivers continuous compliance no matter how fast your company is growing. Find out more at drata.com slash partner slash day two cloud. That's D-R-A-T-A dot com slash partner slash day two cloud. Welcome to Day Two Cloud. Today's topic is network automation, and we have two network automation experts who have thought hard about the problem as guests. We've got Chris Grunderman and Scott Roban, and they are part of the Network Automation Forum. What is the Network Automation Forum, Ethan? It is a group that is trying to gather a bunch of different network operators and vendors and so on from the industry to discuss the current state of network automation here in 2023 and going forward for a few years. The network automation state net is not what cloud automation and a lot of other infrastructure automation is. It's it's a bit of a mess and a lot of companies are struggling to get over the hump. So the network automation was formed to try to figure out where we're at and how to improve things. And there's a conference that we're going to talk about during this uh, recording here. AutoCon Zero put on by the Network Automation Forum. Exactly. So if this episode piques your interest, definitely check out the conference and the forum. Enjoy this episode with Chris Grunderman and Scott Roban. Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, before we talk about the topic at hand, I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell the folks a little bit about you. Scott, why don't you get started? Hey, thank you, Ned. I'm Scott Roban. Um, I've been in the networking business for over 30 years now, spent roughly the first 15 years with hands-on implementation and kind of the last 15 years in technical sales and leading technical sales teams. And now I've got the privilege to do some really fun things in network automation. Awesome. And Chris, what about you? Yeah, so my name is Chris Grundeman. Uh, I've been working mostly in service writer environments, but lately more and more on the enterprise side as well. Well, maybe lately is the last decade, so uh, I guess showing my age a little bit there. Um, but definitely focus now on interconnection and automation, most specifically within networking and uh, doing lots of fun things around those two topics. Awesome. Well, that is what we're here to talk about, network automation. And I think we have to start with a very fundamental question, which those are always fun because they have simple answers, right? simple and easy answers that won't take a whole podcast episode to fill. Uh, when you say network automation, what are you actually talking about when you say network automation, Chris? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think, you know, in general, I think about automation as just delegation, but you're delegating to a piece of software or a piece of hardware or some kind of, you know, mechanistic instrument. So in network automation, it covers a lot of ground. And I, and I think that's definitely a big part of the conversation is there is this spectrum of automation of what it can mean, you know, at, at one point, right? I mean, if you look back over the history of my career anyway, because uh, all advice ends up being autobiographical in some way, um, you know, we st you know started with scripts, right? It was Perl scripts and expect scripts and, and that kind of stuff. And and you could just, you know, instead of logging into 30 routers and, and changing the, the domain name or or the pointer to the SNMP server or whatever it might be, you'd write a script to do that across all 30 all at once, right? And, and that still goes on a lot and it's super helpful. I think, you know, these days when I talk about network automation, I'm talking about something fairly different, um, which is as much as possible getting towards usually a source of truth driven intent-based network, um, which is kind of end-to-end -end automation where I can actually hit a button and a process kicks off and it actually validates itself along the way, make sure that there's no problems, you know, spits it out and then checks to make sure that it actually was done in production, right? So you're talking about like full lifecycle automation for any specific configuration task. Um, automation also works for troubleshooting and all kinds of things though. So again, lots and lots of ground to cover there. It's really 
any kind of software-based force multiplier for network engineers, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's still casting a very wide net. And I think it, uh, a network is built up of lots of different components and different layers. So, uh, Scott, are you targeting a particular layer or portion of the network when you're thinking about network automation? This is the obligatory uh, seven-layer uh, model question, right? <laughs> my my favorite decode is people don't need these stupid protocols anyway. So let's leave it as an <laughs> exercise to the uh, the uh, listeners to decode that. But uh, so the short answer is not really. This does tend to focus on on being a management plane interaction, right? So you either, you know, per per Chris's example, you're screen scraping the CLI, right? Um, but in more modern approaches, you're using APIs to affect the config of a device, a router, a switch, a firewall, et cetera, um, in some management focused way. So uh, I, I would say. The, the not direct answer to your question is it is a management plane activity, but to get full closed loop automation, um, you might be doing things at the Ethernet level. You might find a failing optic and even turn off the transmit power um, for an optic. So it can across multiple layers within the devices. Now, when you guys are talking about automation here, you are talking about primarily affecting the configuration, changing the configuration of network devices to do something. Network automation also, and I want to see if you agree or disagree with this, could be more of a read-only context where we're pulling data from devices, or is that not an area that you think is overly important or however you want to think about it? It's absolutely important. I would say it's critical and, and crucial to automation. Uh, you know, when I mentioned troubleshooting, that was, you know, one kind of allusion towards read-only automation that works really, really well, which is instead of, you know, tracing that VLAN through all those switches to try and figure out which one you forgot to add it to, why not have a script do that, right? That's, that's a really good case for automation. And I think uh, a lot of people jump straight to configuration-based automation and, and kind of skip over this read-only, which is obviously by the nature of being read-only, much less risky as a way to kind of dip your toes into automation and kind of start playing with some of these things and these constructs. So absolutely read-only automation is part of this. And I would say, you know, in addition to just, you know, the active troubleshooting piece, what I see as, you know, kind of modern network automation requires a closed feedback loop, right? And so you really need some kind of observability, some kind of validation, whether you're doing telemetry with GNMI or you're still pulling SNMP uh, or you're using something like SUSE Q to look at device state over time, whatever it might look like, I think that that piece, that visibility piece, that observability piece is absolutely critical to feed back into your automation machine to ensure that things kind of maintain steady state over time. I mean, I ideally, we'll get to the point where, you know, Kariti Compello has been talking about the self-driving network for a long, long time. Uh, you know, in my mind, I think of the Boston Robotics uh, bipedal robot that's standing there and you give oh, him a wow. kick and he yeah. kind of like, you know, <laughs> staggers a little bit, but stays standing. Mm -hmm. That's how I want my network to operate. Now, I'm not saying we're there yet. Definitely not everywhere. Very, very few places are even close to that. But I think that's the kind of the goal. And it definitely requires read-only observability as part of that loop. I would tack on to that too. It is a real confidence builder, you know, for organizations that are new with trying to automate their network Doing read-only lets you get comfortable with the constructs, right? Whether you're just diving into Python or using other tools um, to do stuff, you are keeping the human in the click OK to continue loop. Um, <laughs> again, it's it's good for starters. You eventually want to remove that human interaction. And I know I know part of the rules for this discussion is we're humans, not robots. But we are trying to use software robots to help run our networks, to make the networks more resilient and our lives better. 
Yes, we are humans, Scott. I don't. Yes, know what we are, doing. Ned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I so I I want to compare and contrast network automation and where you draw the line between that and infrastructure automation. But I got to back up a moment and say, Chris, you mentioned something called Suzy Q, and I can't tell if you were just making that up or if that's a real thing. No, it's a real tool. Uh, I would say if you don't know about it and you work in networking, definitely Google and take a look at it. Um, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I think, you know, on the observability plane of kind of looking at networks and understanding what's going on there, there's really, I think, two schools of thought, right? One is kind of the packet capture side, which we've been doing for a long time, which is like, give me S flow or give me all the packets and, and pull that all off, you know, through some kind of, uh, you know, infrastructure to look at, you know, all the traffic that's going on in the network and see what's actually happening and, and get observability that way. Um, which definitely works. Uh, the other way that Suzy Q, I think, is more proponent of is let me gather all the state of the network. Let me look at what's going on on each interface, right? The counters, the up down status, the OSPF statuses, you know, whatever all that stuff is, gather all that together and, and see the state of the network through that lens. Um, ideally, maybe you use both, but I think um, there is two pieces there. And yeah, Suzy Q basically collects and normalizes all that state information and puts it into a time series database. So you can roll back the clock and see was that interface up when the customer said, uh, you know, you had a problem? We can actually look. Gotcha. Okay. That's uh, I, I, I just was like, is that a real product or is he just making that up? I can't tell sometimes people pulling my leg when it comes to technology. <laughs> no, it's an open source project. Yeah. And Batfish <laughs> as well is kind of another one in that same space of oh, validation work. So some cool names popping up in there. Naming is fun. So when you, you think can, about you, and you can you can put some uh, you know intro music some CCR Suzy Q if uh, if you do that with the <laughs> with the podcast so I feel like we pay out the nose for that uh, <laughs> so when you think about network automation and I think of sort of the impact of cloud and the fact that so much of what I do when it comes to automating infrastructure has to do with network or network adjacent things where do you draw that line between infrastructure automation and network automation? For cloud, you don't really, right? It's all fungible resource. You know, apps, compute, storage, and network is there to be the mortar between the bricks, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of all part of the package in a cloud deployment. In the more traditional IT world, you know, those things, those domains are much more discrete, managed by different people usually. And there are different physical characteristics that do make network different in the physical world versus the cloud world. It reminds me, like, I'm so used to dealing with the cloud world where every object is addressable by an API. So if I want to alter a security group in AWS, um, that's just one API call away. But if I'm working in a data center, a modern firewall would have an API that I could change a rule on pretty easily. But if I'm going old school, I might have to type something into a CLI or go into a GUI. So it's definitely a change in tools and a change in process. Uh, and I'm trying to think of how that impacts the approach of network automation because you are not you're not just dealing with APIs. You yeah. have to you have to deal with what ex, what the pre-existing technology that may not have been modernized yet. Right. That is definitely a huge challenge. I think, you know, as far as where we draw the line, I mean, Scott and I have already been talking about the fact that hopefully at some very soon point, right? I don't know, and very soon could be years, could be decades, I don't know. Um, but, you know, this idea of network automation will be subsumed by just, you know, infrastructure automation, right? That it's all going to be kind of put together. I think you're right. You know, the the line between physical infrastructure and virtualized infrastructure, cloud infrastructure in particular, 
is an interesting one. And the way things operate there are definitely different. I think a big part, to me anyway, of, of network automation, in some ways, I don't want to overstate this, but in some ways, what we want is the network, the physical network to be operated a lot more like a cloud. Um, right. We want this to be a little bit easier. We don't want somebody to have to, you know, run around the data center, plugging console ports into devices to make stuff work um, or, or driving around the country. Right. If you're, if you're talking about like a WAN network, uh, you could, you, you know, could get really crazy. So that's a big part of this. Right. And, and those lines, I think, today are drawn mostly along silos. Right. Especially in traditional IT. You definitely have like your security team, your network team. A lot of cases at a big enterprise, you may even have a network team for each business unit. Um, and that gets really interesting because yeah. then they're actually doing things differently between different teams in the same company. That's that's fairly frequently happens. And I think that's also something that maybe another interesting topic we want to get into, which is, you know, automation works best once you've standardized. Uh, and and usually in a lot of networks, especially if you're going network to network, um, standardization is a afterthought at best, if it's even been thought of ever at all. <laughs> An afterthought at best is such a... A generous way to put it, because it's usually it's not even that. I mean, trying to build out a replicable, inf replicable infrastructure is something that's like, ah, oh, well, that year we didn't have any budget, so we did the best we could. And, you know, and this year, well, we were in this building with these weird constraints. And so we ended up with what we ended up with, and we just kind of roll with it. As opposed to someone that rolls in later and goes, every remote office shall look the same and this is how it will look and behold these are the rules and then life gets so much easier trying to manage that network but uh, but but that and, and you know and even beyond that i okay now i'm going down a rabbit hole but uh, this is a whole thing that i've been uh, passionate about for a long time that all these networks that as different companies we build differently could really be built modularly and more or less the same because we tend to have company to company and org to org similar needs, different constraints maybe, but similar needs. And couldn't as an industry, we rally around some predictable standards. And it's like, oh, we need internet access at the edge for this building. It should look like this. And you pull it off of an industry standard template that looks like that. And then we all look the same. And then as an industry, it becomes easier to automate because there's some predictability from a network business to business and org to org. That also would feed into how network engineers are trained, how as an industry we teach uh, network theory uh, and so on, rather than the I mean, haphazard, I think, is the best way to to describe the networks that we see out there today when you compare one to another. It's still a relatively young industry in, in the big picture, right? And so those disciplines that you're calling out, you know, different companies have been better about standardizing configs for branches, for residential edge routers, for business services edge routers, for core routers, and so forth. Um but there's still a lot of room um, for things to get more disciplined and more um, structured, right? In a, in a given organization, like let's, let's just say, you know, pick a service provider. Um, for, forget the industry standards. If a service provider can figure out one way to standardize those configs for those different uh, network devices, that's a win, right? Mm. And some are doing some are doing a great job of it. Some are still struggling with it, right? But if I, you know, if I think about, you know, the Apollo program, right, and all the structure and discipline and overdoing double check, of course, human lives are at, at risk in the heart of a space program. It's not necessarily the same level of risk with most networks that are built. Not all, but most networks that are built. You know, there's a proportionality there, the, the, the rigor um, and the mission. So a, a longer conversation for another podcast, perhaps. 
Well, a place that longer conversations about network automation is going to be happening uh, is going to be starting at the conference that Chris, uh, you and Scott are, uh, well, you're heading up and making this thing happen. The, the network automation forum that I, I think is your fault as well is launching AutoCon Zero in Denver, November 13th and 14th. I would appreciate it if you guys would plug that. I'm, I'm going to be there. Drew from the Packet Pushers Network is going to be there as well. And uh, get, tell us what the conversation is that's going to be starting at that conference. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're hoping to join an ongoing conversation for sure, but maybe put, you know, uh, a, a point on the map where folks can come together and, and and talk about it. That's why the name Network Automation Forum, it really is designed to be a forum, a place for folks to get together and talk about these things, a, a salon, if you will, kind of in the you know traditional, maybe Parisian sense, where we're going to have an actual physical place at a, at a, at a certain time where people are going to get together and, and talk about these things. And, and I think it's going to be a landmark event for the industry. Uh, I think it's going to be a foundational moment. Uh, for this progression of network automation, right? We've been talking about this for a long, long time. There's been some progress. Uh, I recently did a survey of network operators um, following the tradition of, of Damian Garros, who had done a couple before that. And, uh, you know, back of the Mac napkin, you know, non-statistical math, something like 40% of the networks uh, of the respondents were were automated, right? And so, that's probably self-selecting. I think people who are totally not talking about automation at all probably didn't respond to the survey at all. Uh, and it wasn't 40% of the people who responded. It was 40% of the networks of the people who responded, right? So there's little bits and patches of network automation here and there. Almost no one. I mean, I've been surprised. I don't want to call anybody out by name, but I have spent you know the first six months of this year uh, you know, on the phone, uh, mostly actually on like Zoom or, or Google Meet or whatever, but, but doing the rounds and talking to folks at some big companies that I thought would be you know all the way along with network mm -hmm. automation. And trying to get their lessons learned to kind of capture those and then spread those out. And what I found was almost nobody has complete end-to-end -end automation everywhere, right? I mean, it's just it's just really, really, really rare as a unicorn. And so, you know, Scott and I saw the need here. There are vendor-specific conferences. There's more just network operational focused conferences, you know, across the networks in general for different, you know, communities. But nobody was really specifically talking about network automation in a vendor-neutral, platform-neutral, tool-neutral way. And so we said, hey, we can do this. Let's pull it together. Uh, and as you said, it'll be Denver, uh, November 13th and 14th. Uh, tickets are on sale now. Um, and the early bird pricing will expire at the end of this month. We may not even make it that far. It may sell out before then. So uh, I highly recommend folks jump in there and, and get a spot because I think if you're interested in network automation at all, you're going to want to be part of the conversation there and then take that home with you. Is selling out just one of those marketing things you say because you're supposed to say it? Or is there actually a cap on this where you could actually sell out? We are going to cap it. Yeah, we want to make sure that this is, like I said, this forum, this salon. We want to enable the hallway track as much as the the folks talking on stage, right? I think there's going to be a lot of folks who show up who have just as much experience and expertise as anybody we can recruit to uh, to come talk. And so we want to make sure that there is, you know, not too many people where it overflows and, and you can't have that kind of group conversation. So we want lots of Q&A. We want lots of engagement. We're trying to find interesting ways to do that at the event and before the event. And uh, anyway, short answer, yes, it's going to be capped. So we, we, there is a definite possibility of selling out, uh, I think, a pretty strong one based on the response we've seen so far. Okay. And the, the cap will definitely be below the number of people we can squeeze in the meeting space. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very intentional, right? You know, you, you, when they get too big, it's really hard to, you know, feel like more than just, you know, one head in a huge crowd. And on the intersection with cloud, Ned, you should come please come join us, right? You know, we, one of the things we're talking about here is, 
how do we learn from our cloud siblings? Right. Um, and we've got some of that baked in to the agenda as, as we're wrapping that up and getting that out there. Now the, the, the 90% plus finished agenda is published on networkautomation.forum. So you can go see what we have lined up, but as a conversation there and a continuation, you know, what can we adopt from cloud infrastructure automation that makes sense? And, and what are the lines? What doesn't make sense for, uh, you know, physical networks from a cloud perspective, but let's get as much as we can and, and repurpose things that have been built and built well. Let's take a quick sponsor break. Drata, D-R-A-T-A, provides compliance automation. That means if you're working with a security framework like SOC 2, ISO 27001, PCI DSS, GDPR, HIPAA, CCPA, FIEC, various NIST standards, or CMMC, Drata helps. Over 3,000 companies use Drata, including Lemonade, Notion, and Fivetran. Drata collects information from your tech stack and maps it onto security frameworks using over 80 integrations, including AWS, Azure, GitHub, Okta, and Cloudflare. Drata offers automated, dynamic policy templates you implement to become compliant. Drata will continuously monitor your compliance state so you'll know if a system becomes non-compliant and can alert the system owner. What if you need some advice? Drata has a team of former auditors who have conducted 500-plus audits available for your questions, including regular meetings and pre-audit planning. So say goodbye to manual evidence collection and hello to automated compliance by visiting drata.com slash partner slash day2cloud. That's D-R-A-T-A dot com slash partner slash day2cloud. Bringing automation to compliance at Drata speed. How would you say that the rise of cloud has impacted network automation from a practices, process, or just like pragmatic standpoint? Well, it's a whole it's a whole new skill set that I, I was kind of a clean sheet of paper, right? Mm -hmm. You know, as I think about, you know, again, we're we're not sharing the video; it's just audio. But uh, uh, the increasingly gray hair here, here on my face here, um, <laughs> having you know, I I grew up in a world where there was a very large dominant networking vendor. You know, mm. we won't we won't drop any names here, um, but it sounds like a city in the Bay Area, at least the end of that. Um, <clears throat> that that was not the case with cloud networking, right? And it was this very software first approach. Um, all software runs on hardware, right? So don't ever forget, you know, there are real CPUs, there are real networking ASICs, um, there are real SSD drives on, you know, <laughs> beneath all these uh, allegedly fungible cloud resources. Um, but the, the underlay does matter and the hardware does matter. Um, so if I were to, you know, maybe tack on to the, you know, Brand, brand new clean approach to networking um, by cloud provider, by the way, AWS doesn't do things the same way that Azure does, that Oracle does, et cetera. Yeah. But the, the obfuscation of the underlay from the overlay eh, poses some interesting issues. And you always have to keep in mind, there's real hardware moving these packets somewhere along the line. Right. That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting aspect, I think, which is the, this, that nomenclature bit, right? Which is, I think, you know, when I was first introduced to, to cloud stuff with AWS, it took me a little while to fully realize that a VPC was just a network, right? I mean, uh, in networking, <laughs> we just call it a network. Uh, you put a firewall at the edge of it right. uh, if you want to. It's, it, you know, virtual private cloud sound like, sounded like something much more grandiose. And then to your point, Scott, right? Not only did we change the names of things in the cloud, but then each cloud created their own names for things, which makes things really interesting. And then, you know, I definitely have found this interesting when I talk to 
uh, either some of the younger folks or folks who have made the jump over into kind of cloud or platform engineering or, or these kind of things. As you said, right, the level of abstraction is really, really interesting, where when they talk about infrastructure, it is something far above what I would consider infrastructure. Uh, I have lots of scars mm-hmm. on my fingers from rack nuts and things like that. that that's what I think of when I talk <laughs> about infrastructure. And so right. uh, an API being bloody knuckles. Yeah. Wild. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, right, even with that confusion and obfuscation, I think it definitely has created a shining light of something to point towards, right? I think in a lot of ways, what these cloud providers have done is build infrastructure and the management of infrastructure, more importantly, the way that, you know, we probably kind of always wanted to all along, but didn't really know it was possible, right? Like, I, like yes, I want to be able to have this, you know, full orchestration platform that kind of runs over all the infrastructure and, and makes it all really easy so that applications can kind of... Con- provision their own resources and users can get what they need when they need it. And, you know, all the things that happen there uh, are really interesting. And, and to discuss the earlier point, right, we want to kind of learn from that as much as possible, I think, and use it as an example to, to bring back into physical networking as much as possible. Cloud networking has also made things a lot more complicated, right? Because now, instead of running, you know, a network in my office where I can like unplug the firewall and lock the door and everything's secure in the closet, uh, I now have networks that I have no control over whatsoever, sometimes very little visibility into uh, that I have to run as part of my corporate network, right? Or, or as part of my service writer network even, right? And so interconnection and the connection between these networks and how do I make sure that, you know, my Salesforce connection works for my users who are on vacation in Greece while they're, you know, accessing virtual desktops. You know, there's a lot of weird, wild stuff that goes on in networking now uh, that was never a question before. What well, so that... There are a whole bunch of automation tools that have specifically been built up around cloud infrastructure and the assumption of the API, right? And they're tools that I use. What sort of automation platforms and tools, for those who are not deeply steeped in the networking world, what sort of automation tools and platforms are there on the networking side and how do they compare to what exists for cloud? Well, so... The, the way I summarize this conversation, um, you know, back to the references of, you know, bash scripts and, and screen scraping, <laughs> um, Perl to Python to platforms, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Perl, Perl was the scripting language um, that all the cool kids were using 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, Python came along and became much more usable and there was a bigger community around it. Um Platforms have existed and continue to emerge that are going to make network automation, not going to, they do make network automation more accessible to those who don't have, you know, Python and closer to coding skills. Um, we we want to have conversations around both of those streams and the and the you know the cross of the two, right? There are a lot of big networks where it's not just going to be all Python. It may not all just be on some particular vendor platform, but your vendor platform better be able to manage and integrate the scripts that you've already developed, right? Um, that it's it's I see that being a very uh, constructively messy space for a long time. You know, customers that can do um, their own custom development will. Customers that want to use a platform to make it easier, um, depending on their business objectives and their their OPEX constraints, you know, they're going to make platform decisions. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. I think one of the things that drives some of this is those relationships with those big vendors that have been dominant in the networking industry for such a long time. I think, you know, for instance, you know, so, you know, the, the vendors that were biggest earliest are some of the ones who set the standards in some of the protocols that we use today. And they also were the first ones to start looking at automation. Right. And, and I think one of the ways to think about this is 
you know, in addition to those Perl scripts and expect scripts and whatever else, some of the first automation was in like switch stacking, for example, where now I can manage a stack of 12 switches in the IDF as one switch. That's a form kind of of automation, right? It's an, it's an adaption of, of, of operations. Now, the problem with that type of automation and those type of platforms is that you have to have the right model of switch from the same vendor with the same OS stacked up there perfectly to make it work. And, you know, we're seeing a continuation of that in some places, right? And this isn't to, you know, bag on vendors. I think, obviously, I want to differentiate. I want to make my solution easiest to use. I don't necessarily want to make my competitor's solution as easy to use as mine and remove that differentiation. I mean, there, there's some business constraints here. And they're moving past that, right? We're seeing more and more vendors come out and, and do multi-vendor type uh, automation practices. But but inherently, you've kind of gone to get your vendor certification. And then you buy your automation software from your vendor. And the problem is that nobody actually built networks with a single vendor uh, very, very rarely anyway. And so seeing these new platforms spring up and, and kind of spread across the network is, is really important, I think, as well. And right now, a lot of what's going on is gluing platforms and devices and stuff together because uh, because of that non-standardization we talked about earlier, right? The fact that every network is heterogeneous in a different way, and there's 15 ways to configure OSPF on every switch, you know, multiplied by the number of versions you have in your network, multiplied by the number of switch types you have in your network, it's really, 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 really hard to just drop in a platform that says, whoop, automated, right? Uh, there's just too much differentiation there. And so we see a lot of folks coming together to like glue things together to make things work. Um, in, in the meantime, until we get to Ethan's, uh, you know, pan uh, utopia of uh, of standardized modular right. networks. Right. Well, they, you know, the magic word that's going to solve all the problems that Chris um, called out are integrations. Right. Um, again, one of the most abused words in our industry today, cl cloud and traditional networking. But it is a real thing. Right. And the platform vendors that can do a good job of accommodating different network infrastructure vendors, accommodating different types of scripting and so forth, you know, the, uh, accommodating different visibility vendors and so forth, they're going to play a valuable role. And they already are. I don't want to, I don't want to make that just future tense, right? There are people make, doing good work on that today. If I get enough integrations, does it create a single pane of glass? You get bonus <laughs> points for two buzzword bingo phrases in the same sentence. That was really well done. Uh, that's quite the synergy, Chris. Maybe yes. we can blue sky some strategies later. My hair is getting pointy as we as we talk. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a Tolstoy quote that I was reminded of when you were describing all these different networks. He said, "All family, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way." And I think you could apply that to networks. Yeah, <laughs> that's very interesting. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> unhappy <just> little networks. <laughs> totally raised the bar with a Tolstoy quote. Wow, I was not prepared for this. So yeah. I'm Pretty sure I got it from some trash podcast. So don't think too highly of me. It's all right. <laughs> Are there things you guys think that we shouldn't be looking to automate or that there's practical limits to to network automation? No. <laughs> I'd like Holy to find that. Let me clarify. And I, I know Chris will have constructive input on this too. So you crawl, you walk, and you run. Different networks are in different places, right? And we already talked about the one strategy of read only, click OK to continue, get used to it, and build from there. Other, other networks are, are beyond that. Um, I, I love the idea of a unified field theory of being able to go to my IT dashboard and say, express my intent and have a system provisioned that would go and 
get me the right app running in the right places on compute with the right storage, with the right network connectivity, where I, I wouldn't even need to think about, um, you know, ports and gazintas and gazatas, you know, interfaces. Um, I realize that's a lofty goal, um, but I think there's room for vision to help. If you, if you think about, you know, the seven habits, right? Begin with the end in mind. You know, are we trying to just automate upgrades or are we really trying to enable self-service IT, well, the, you know, or somewhere in been, between? Yeah. I mean, and of course, you're speaking to a lot of what what cloud is really all about. The exactly. idea of just consuming you know, IT uh, and, and make it just a, a simple service that you you dial up what you want in a more general way without having to do too many specifics. And the thing just happens. And there's been startups over the years that have tried something like this. You know, Plexi is one that comes to mind. Where right. We're trying yep. to build a network that would be very fit for the application uh, and, and at hand. Oh, you've got a lot of big storage flows. Okay, we're going to carve off a section of the network for you and and so on. And they had a lot of uh, PhDs and so on that were working on the math that would make all that happen. And they, they have made a lot of progress. They got acquired by HP, and that's still a, a product that you can buy in some form or another. It's all been rebranded. I think the word Plexi is gone, but... Um, but there's just the, so many challenges to making things happen that, again, go back to that standardization challenge with all the vendors differentiated in how they're doing their automation. Bringing that to bear is uh, is going to be tough. And getting all the integrations in place that would enable such a thing, I think, would be really tough. But, but going back to your original point, Scott, it sounds like you think that's the, 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 the utopia that we can eventually get to, which is everything about the network is completely automated where we could maybe even speak at a high level as to what we want the network to do and automation delivers that result for us well with new tooling like ai for natural language processing you know there's another leap there that could help bridge that part of the problem you know you're not wrong this is a hard problem capital h capital p right and it's it's complicated you don't solve any large problem without breaking it down into smaller constituent problems, right? So, you know, again, to my brash no um, to the most recent question, um, yeah, we're going to have to continue to decompose, solve solve the pieces in ways that make sense for the pieces. But if we can come up with a framework that will enable the, you know, click here to provision my infrastructure, that that can give us something aspirational to shoot for. And I would say, just like like you mentioned, cloud does give us that more consumable way of looking at IT resources. There's a lot that can be learned from that, right? Now, here here's the problem, right? Within AWS, they do it their way. Within Azure, they do it their way. They've all solved it within you know very strict organizational constructs. How can we expand that and get it to work? you know, across different organizations and even different different vendors and so forth. It would be lovely if there was some sort of standard, standards body that was go not governing, but, uh, you know, creating standards and concepts that all organizations and enterprises could follow when they're trying to adopt this sort of internal or private cloud uh, operating model. I, I would love to see that. And maybe that's the sort of thing that you could discuss in the salon style environments at AutoCon Zero. Hmm? 
I think so. And there may be a need for something like that, you know, ongoing, right? I mean, again, right now, I think Scott and I and, and the, you know, other couple of dozen folks who are involved in, in pulling off AutoCon Zero and, and getting Network Automation Forum off the ground are really focused on this first event in November uh, in Denver this year. But we are also looking at the horizon beyond that. And, and I think there's potentially a place for that, right? And as we talked about earlier, there's a bunch of different layers and there's also already standardization at a lot of these layers, right? So you got the IEEE, mm -hmm. which is laying out a lot of the kind of really physical stuff and the electrical engineering stuff. The IETF is doing protocol level work where vendors are kind of looking to that, to how to build their software and hardware and, and build that into, you know, routers and switches and, and more and more cloud functions and things like that as well. Um, the, the piece that's, I think, always been somewhat lacking is this idea of operational standards, right? Whether it's best current operational practices or just good practices, laying this out there. In some industries, there have been groups that come together and do this, and some of them are doing it really, really well, especially for, for very specific industries. Um, but I think if you look at this kind of protocol stack as a layer cake, we may need some icing on top where folks who are actually running these networks and building these networks come together and talk about how we're going to do things in a standardized way. There's always going to be exceptions. You know, if, if the network really is a differentiator for your company in some way, right, if you're running uh, a CDN or, or doing something really new, sure, go break the mold you know, figure it out on your own, build networks however you want. Um, but I think to Ethan's earlier point, for most of us, we can probably agree on a lot of things like what interfaces are we going to use, right? Is GNMI the standard? Is NetConf the standard? Is a standard, is a source of truth the standard for automation, right? Are, are there ways we're going to build these things that actually allow us to learn from each other and, and to move the industry forward and to make collective demands of our vendors, uh, whatever type they might be, whether they're consultants or, or hardware vendors or software vendors to say, no, 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 no as a you know huge body of network engineers and network architects this is how we want to do things uh, i think there's definitely a place for that and that may be something that the network automation forum can fill in on um, or just pointing to the other folks who are already doing it and kind of helping to to bridge that gap this is a great really important conversation on striking the balance between the right level of standardization and the right level of autonomy mm -hmm. um, and just to throw it out there you know, there's this very fundamental construct in the internet um, called the autonomous system, you know, that's really heavily used in BGP. And it is just what it sounds like within my autonomous system. I can do things the way I want with my network, according to my business needs, according to my uh, um, opinions of my, my chief architect and so forth. Um, but as long as the, the standardized interface between the autonomous systems works, you're good and you've got internet connectivity and that's BGP, right? Mm -hmm. So BGP is the glue that lets, you know, company X run um, what they want in their AS and company Y run what they want in their AS and still allow them to interconnect. I'm, uh, you know, that, that ability to adapt and do things differently, I think has been a significant contributor to the growth and the robustness of the internet. So we've got to, we got to keep both sides of the equation in mind. Gotcha. So can you just remind us once more of the details regarding AutoCon if people are interested in you know, attending? It's we've we've done nothing fancy with marketing. Go to networkautomation.forum. Um and forget .com or die. We're .forum and it's working out <laughs> just fine. Um, and right on the main page, go to the upper right corner and click register. Um, of course, check out other pieces of the website if you want to learn more first. But if you're ready, if we've convinced you, um, go straight to that registration box and uh, get a spot while it's still available. Yeah, if nothing else, just piqued my curiosity and interest in what 
the network automation forums trying to do. And I look through the group, the list of presenters and people who are advisors to the forum, and I see a lot of familiar faces that are not necessarily networking people. And that was really, uh, it was good to see. So intentional, very intentional. Yeah. So I think even if you're not a diehard networking person, there might be some real value here to attending or just checking out what the forum's doing. Uh, are either of you social? Do you have, uh, you know, somewhere where you're posting content or information that you'd like to share with our audience? Chris, uh, you go first. Sure. Yeah. Um, I am still on Twitter at Chris Grundeman, although my use is fading. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn seems to be where the action is these days for me anyway. I'm having lots of great conversations there both in kind of the messaging side of things as well as on, on posts and stuff. So find me on LinkedIn uh, and you can learn more at chrisgrundeman.com as well, if you're interested. And I agree on LinkedIn, hundred percent. You can find me on LinkedIn, go to the network automation forum page. You'll see both Chris and I and others uh, having some really interesting dialogue there. I am still Scott Robon, one word on, on X. Can we, I, that feels weird to say on Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm still, I'm still digging Twitter. I don't, I don't have any issues with it. Um, you've got to curate uh, your feed and that's, that's pretty helpful. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will include links to all that information in the show notes as always. Chris and Scott, thank you so much for being guests today on day two cloud and Hey, listener out there, high fives, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd really like to hear about them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter or on LinkedIn. You can find the links in our bios and, and the main page, day2cloud.io. And there is a form on that website as well. You can just put a suggestion there or a helpful comment. We welcome those as well. And hey, vendors out there, if you've got a way cool cloud product that you want to share with our audience of IT professionals, you could become a day two cloud sponsor. You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. Maybe your product fixes their problem, but we'll never know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. You can find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.